From Olympic City and the home of Pikes Peak, this is the Automotive ADHD Show. Oh yeah, here we are on the Automotive ADHD Show, rocking it, talking about cars, all sorts of good stuff. My name is Matt West, the uh, host of this show, or at least uh, that's what they keep telling me, so I'm going to... I'm going to keep rolling with that there. I got a great show in the works for you, by the way. Uh, Last week's show was awesome. I had filmmaker Connor Hudson on to talk about his upcoming film, Backtracking the Ode to America's Racetracks, exploring. um, It's a film that explores abandoned racetracks and the history behind some racetracks here in Colorado, which is very, very cool. And uh, no, very great show. If you missed it, it's going to be in your podcast feed. Find it wherever you download podcasts. And of course, I want to thank Connor again for uh, joining me on the show. Very, very great interview. You got to check it out. Now, this show is gonna, it's a lot of fun. If I sound a little more exhausted and tired than usual, well, maybe I don't. I just drank like two cups of coffee. So, no, I've had a long day doing, uh, doing some car stuff. Went to the uh, junkyard with a bunch of friends. You know, you got a good group of friends. When you all plan out a, a Saturday to um, all go to the junkyard, you get a whole list together. We all work together. We ripped apart like five cars, grabbed uh, rear differentials, all sorts of stuff. And then I finished that and then um, did some radio shows. You may know I do this show as a uh, radio show in Southern Colorado, but I also work uh, at a music station on the weekends and I do a music show as well. So the, the voice is a little hoarse. I've done a lot of talking, but hey, you know, I can never stop talking about cars. I've always got energy in me to do more car stuff. It's almost a problem. Like, like I don't care how tired I am. If it's about cars, oh yeah, you'll get me fired up on it. So there we go. And uh, now I do have some really cool stuff to uh, talk about as uh, well today. Uh, like for instance, uh, NASA uh, might soon be putting their astronauts in Dotsons. Yeah, well, that's that's being rude. I guess I could call them Nissans, but Nissan is working on the next lunar vehicle. This is interesting. Also, I'm going to talk about the best time to uh, fill up your gas tank. That's going to be really interesting. Porsche is also working on some e-fuels, so going to do a segment a little bit on uh, just gasoline, fuels, uh, things like that. I mean, those gas prices have been going up, uh, especially here in the States. They have been getting pricey. I saw premium, by the way, uh, cross the $5 mark here in Colorado, which I know those of you in California are like, oh, $5? I wish it was $5. It's like 7 or $8 there now, which is is mind-blowing. Um, but... It's a, it's it's getting higher here too. It's getting higher everywhere. Going to talk about that. Also, the automotive chip shortage um, has uh, finally killed the most useless automotive feature, and I am glad. I'm glad. We're going to be talking about that. And of course, your car sounds. I got more car sounds in. You sent them into the show. Going to play them right here now, ladies, gentlemen. Ferrari 308. So uh, before we talk about NASA, uh, let I want to hit on this real quick. I saw this. A new survey says 61% of drivers admit that someone else notices that they're having car trouble before they themselves notice the car problem. Is that, I don't know if that's ever happened to you. For me, I'm pretty aware. I'm Yeah, okay, I'm a car guy. I'm an enthusiast. I'm pretty aware of what's going on with my car. Though the one thing I have been guilty of... Um, This has happened to me once. Maybe a little embarrassing, but I had a uh, flat tire 
uh, on a Mustang I was driving at the time, one of the cars I've had in the past, and uh, had pretty low-profile tires, reasonably low-profile, and uh, no tire pressure monitor sensors or anything. It was old enough it didn't have that. I didn't notice the flat tire because it was in the rear. Had it been in the front, I would have noticed the steering pulling, but the tire went flat in the back, and um, truth be told, I didn't even feel it. Someone pointed to me at a stoplight, hey, man, your, uh, your tire looks low. And I was like, what, really? And I get out, totally flat. Totally flat. And uh, that's the only time that's ever happened to me. Now, uh, this uh, same study also found, by the way, that the average person waits uh, about nine days before um, having a check engine light, at least checked, taking it a place to having it checked and deciding if they want to fix it or if you know what, they're going to go the route of the um, the black tape. Yeah, the uh, <laughs> black tape route, cover up that check engine light. Makes it go right away. You know what the prices of like, you know, uh, chips and stuff going up and, and less people wanting to get their cars fixed. Maybe, you know, the, the car scalpers are already doing this when it comes to, you know, markups on cars. Maybe we could start marking up black tape because then we can sell it for more like, yeah, fix all your car problems. Stick it over the light. Mark up the black tape. Uh, <laughs> sell it for 10 bucks a roll. It's special check engine light masking tape. And uh, no, I'm I'm kidding. We should not do that. That's uh, that's terrible. Get that get that check engine light sorted out. I know I've I've been one to say, yeah, I know the check engine light. I know what it's from. Screw it. I'm just going to keep driving. I've been one to do that. I've also been one who's um, has cars sometimes that are too old to have check engine lights. So simple problem. You can't have the check engine light turn on if you don't have one. So that's a that's a great way to do that. No. So yeah, keep keep up on that car maintenance. At the end of the day, you know, keeping up on your maintenance, obviously your oil changes, all the basic stuff, but you know, your car's going to last you a long time if you take care of it. That's the thing. I, you know, you see a lot of people are like, "Oh, my car's a piece of crap. It's terrible." And uh, then they're the same people who haven't changed the oil in 15,000 miles, who uh, drive around with all their tires low, who don't fix anything and it's like yeah i get some people don't have money but the fact is too you don't have to have a lot of money generally speaking to keep up on preventative maintenance obviously uh major catastrophic things engines transmissions sometimes they can fail at random and uh, you can really have nothing to contribute to it and and that sucks so such is car ownership but hey there you go now i do want to talk about nasa all right so NASA has um, is is in the market here for a new uh, lunar rover vehicle, and uh, this uh, came out during the uh, 37th National Space Symposium, which is a huge conference of aerospace manufacturers, different technology firms. They get together, uh, and guess what? This happens right here where I'm broadcasting from in Colorado Springs. Happy uh, people come from around the world. Lockheed Mar uh, Lockheed Martin, Raytheon. All these big names in aerospace and engineering gather at the uh, Broadmoor, which is uh, here in the Springs. And um, it is, uh, it's a cool conference. It's really cool. And, and trust me, this relates to cars here. But uh, it's really cool. It's usually many, many, many thousands of dollars to get into it. Uh, and when I was in high school, we had a, um, we had a student group go out to that event and uh, I got to go in for free <laughs> with the students. I was part of the student group at the time and that was really cool. That was very cool. I, as someone who doesn't work in the aerospace industry, uh, at least get to say I've been to that 
conference, which is it's honestly really cool. But anyway, um, during the space symposium uh, and uh, the Nissan and a company called Sierra Space announced that they are working on a crude lunar terrain vehicle, not crude as in crass, as in crude as in as in it has people in it. But anyway, um, they're going to be working on. Uh, yeah, that basically Nissan says, yeah, we build cars for Earth. So we're going to build cars for the moon now. Now, obviously, they said this is going to have to be an EV, which is, which is tragic. I mean, come on. another Yet another thing lost to the EV crowd. No, I'm just kidding. Obviously, it has to be an EV. There's no oxygen in space. It's a, This is the one area where I will concede to the crazed EV crowd of people, which is that, you know what? We can have EVs in space because... Um, Running combustion engines, which usually require oxygen. Yeah, last time I checked, um, does not work when there is an absence of oxygen and you're in the vacuum of space. So, you know what? Fine. I'll let the EV nuts have have the moon. They can have it. That's that's not to say it would be impossible to get a combustion engine running there. You would just have to truck in a huge tank of oxygen that you would feed into the intake as well as the fuel. And I, I think that would be a, a point of diminishing returns. So, you know what? I'm not... I'm not opposed to this. You know, they say in due time, everything in this world will get LS swapped at some point. And I am sure lunar rovers are no exception to that rule. And one day when half of us are all living on the moon or something, some some redneck in his garage on the moon is going to like try to LS swap his his rover, his lunar rover, and he's going to be trucking in oxygen. It's going to run on an LS. <laughs> it's going to be great. Anyway, anyway, I digress. So um, Nissan basically is making a uh, four-wheel drive uh, lunar rover. They're designing it at least. They've teased it with some 3D renders. And uh, it's okay. It's going to be like any other lunar rover, just, you know, made by Nissan. Now, the thing is, NASA hasn't committed to Nissan doing it, but they have said that they're shopping around, and obviously that means a bunch of companies now are going to start making designs to pitch to NASA because obviously they want to get that big government contract. Now, NASA is an American, uh, you know, part of the American government, and it would make sense. A lot of people here say, well, if NASA gets a lunar rover, it's got to be American. We don't want a Nissan. We don't want our American astronauts in Nissans. But the fact is, Nissan North America manufactures a great deal of, of their uh, vehicles here in the United States. Uh, I mean, there's a whole manufacturing plant, uh, if not several, that Nissan has here in the United States. And most of their U.S. market cars are actually made here because, uh, you know, that's uh, one of those things that, uh, you know, is profitable for a company to do. And uh, especially if you start selling in that volume, it makes more sense to make those vehicles here than ship them here. And it also helps with, you know, local jobs here, obviously. So, uh, and Toyota's been big at that too. You know, like the Tacoma I bought has, uh, it was made in Texas of all things. Uh, and, uh, you know, and it's a model that they don't sell outside of the U.S. The Toyota Tacoma, its closest um, international equivalent would be the Toyota Hilux, but it honestly shares no parts with the Hilux. They're completely different vehicles and um so obviously that's toyota usa who makes that truck here and the ironic thing too is when if you get behind brand nationality right and you get a lot of folks who are very patriotic about their american vehicles and yeah ford america chevy america yeah well a lot of chevys are made in canada a lot of fords are made in Mexico. In fact, more F-150s are made in Mexico than Toyota makes trucks in the U.S. So, which one's the more American vehicle? I, I don't know. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, who, who cares where it's made? As long as it's made well. Um, that's that's what's important. And, you know, I, I wouldn't go so far to say that 100%. It is important to support jobs in your 
country that you are at. If you have a, you know, American company, it's important to, in my opinion, you know, make uh, to support jobs in your own country, obviously. But uh, having said that, you know, a, a Nissan Lunar Rover's not that far fetched. And uh, who knows, one day astronauts could very well be driving Datsuns. Is it rude? To call Nissan's Datsun still. I mean, I know it's technically a different company. It has been for like 40 years. I know some older folks who still call them Datsuns. In in true earnesty. They were there back in the day when Nissan was Datsun. And um, and they just, hey, they still call them that. I think Datsun is also a cool name. I think Nissan, yeah, it's recognizable now. We know it. But uh, Datsun is, it's a cool name. Come on. And the Datsun 280Z, oh my God. Oh, one of the most beautiful Japanese cars, in my opinion, ever made. Only second to the Toyota 2000 GT. Fight me on that one. Um, For my listeners listening in other countries, our 280Z uh, was the equivalent of the Nissan Fairlady Z from the 70s in Japan. And uh, yeah, very, very cool. Striking car. The later ones from the 80s the the 280zx not so much the 300zx very cool but not striking and beautiful like that three or that 280z 240z 260z 280z that whole that whole lineup there so anyway i digress those aren't lunar rovers this was a conversation about moon vehicles though again hey if we're if we're living on the moon one day i swear someone's gonna do it someone's gonna bring something up there and it's gonna be fun and then they're gonna ls swap it on the moon. What can I say? What can I say? Now, hey, coming up, I got a lot of other interesting stuff. This is a packed show. Uh, Going to be talking, of course, about fuels and some other things, how Porsche is investing in e-fuels and what that means for owners of vehicles that burn things, likely you and me. I'm not making assumptions, but most likely. So going to be talking about that. And of course, having your car sounds coming up next. And now for how things work with an engineer. CVT transmissions. And that was how things work with an engineer. For more of how things work, go to patreon.com slash throttle warrior. There we go, rocking it for another segment of the Automotive ADHD Show. Matt West here talking about cars, and uh, those car sounds, by the way, courtesy of Colin Schrome. He sent those in uh, recently uh, after he sent in some of his other car sounds. Initially, some weeks back, he sent in his small block Chevy swapped Chevy S10. That is very cool, a V8 in a small truck. That is his other Chevy S10 with the V6 in it. Now, what's cool Colin said he is 17 and he's already begun collecting cars as a um, <laughs> as a gearhead myself. Well, I, that, that makes me happy to hear that. Keep rocking it, Colin. That's good stuff. Now, of course, if you would like to send your car sounds into the show, you can do that. Be entered for a chance to win the automotive ADHD keychain as well as a $25 gift certificate to your favorite parts store. By the way, I have one of those said keychains right here and uh, you can't see it because this is audio, but it does look cool. It tells people you have questionable tastes in podcasts uh, and it's practical. Helps you fish your keys out of your pocket. So all a win 
right there. I'm going to be pulling the drawing for that at the end of this month now for the next winner. Of course, last month's winner, Nikos. Uh, I do have your package on the way soon. I should have that tracking info to you as soon as I get it myself. So there you go. All good stuff. You can send those car sounds in on the Facebook page, facebook.com slash automotive ADHD, uh, or you can email me. Matt at ThrottleWarrior.com. Alternatively, too, if you want to write your uh, or send in your car sounds on a flash drive taped to a, um, I don't know, maybe a set of Fortunato 500 coilovers, you can, I suppose you could do that, too. I wouldn't say no if you did that. So, anyway, <laughs> make sure those uh, coilovers, by the way, are for a Honda S2000. Just, um... Throwing that out there. You could also send the 510 coilovers as well, but I'll, I'll take either. Now, hey, so I want to talk about uh, fuels here um, because fuel is the thing that makes these fun cars go around and make some work. Um, and when is, here's a question, when is the best time to fill up with gas? If you are to believe urban legend, the myth is that you should fill up early, early in the morning because it is colder out. And therefore, because the fuel is colder, it is more dense and that you get more money for or rather you get more fuel for the same amount of money as opposed to filling up later in the day. Now, at a glance, you could say, yeah, that kind of makes sense. I, I could see how that would work. And uh, well, it turns out recently, according to uh, Consumer Reports and some other sources, that it doesn't work that way. And uh, you've also probably heard that it makes uh, in this same the same myth has also been kind of twisted into also uh, relating to um, filling up going into snowstorms because, again, the gas is colder before the storm as opposed to in the nice weather before the storm. And um, again, they're saying that uh, experts say that this is not not the case. So and the reason for this, what so what Consumer Reports found is that the gas um, in the because it's stored underground at gas stations in big fuel tanks, uh, it's deep enough underground. The temperature there is fairly consistent. Um, it doesn't change a whole lot underground. It's not that far down, but it is far enough that on a hot day that's 100 degrees versus on a cold day that's 30 degrees. Talking Fahrenheit here, um, and you know, so uh, freezing versus you know 100 degrees and it's hot. Um, and uh, it, it doesn't make that big of a difference in the uh, temperature of the gasoline. And they found that gasoline only increased um, uh, from the ground to the tank. Uh, 60 to 75 degrees was the uh, Fahrenheit again is the uh, difference. And that in that change in temperature in the gasoline only yielded. So from 60 degrees to 75 degrees, that only yielded a 1% increase in volume um, in the uh, gasoline. So that is what? Even in today's gas prices, that is mere cents on the dollar uh, that you're saving by filling up really early in the morning or in the cold. Or if you're going out of your way in the morning to then go fill up at a gas station, you might actually burn more gas going to that gas station, going out of your way for it than you would if you just filled up somewhere on your way. So that is kind of debunking a little bit of this uh, myth. And, uh, you know, it, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it's a myth. It's been around probably as long as there's been fuel. Definitely. Uh, since the fuel crisis in the 1970s, I think people started uh, really trying to figure out how they could save every penny uh, gasoline-wise. And I suppose maybe you're saving a penny or two. Um, but, I mean, you know, if we're looking at 1% difference, you know, 1% of a gallon, 
and say, okay, let's do some quick math. 1% of a gallon, if your gallon was a dollar a gallon, which <laughs> wouldn't that be nice, right? Wouldn't that be nice? If it was a dollar a gallon, that'd be one cent. If it's $5 a gallon, that's five cents. So you're saving five cents. You're saving a nickel. And um, so, yeah, not a lot of money, probably burning more than a nickel in gas just to go out of your way to do it. So the ba basically, the best time to fill up is all the time. That's that's the answer, basically, all the time. It's always a good time to get gas. It's just like, you know, it's always a good time to do burnouts. It's always a good time to get fuel to do those burnouts. So, um, yeah, there you go. Now, that also tees into a, uh, another thing here that segues into another topic, which is e-fuels. And e-fuels are really interesting. And I've been looking into this lately. Every now and then I just get a random kick to start looking up stuff. That's why on a previous show I was just laying in bed and I'm like, oh, can you buy gasoline in bulk? Let me go down the rabbit hole and go research this. And I did that. And that's a uh, show. Uh, and you can find that in the uh, podcast feed. And uh, not not to spoil it, there's there's different reasons why you would want to buy gas in bulk, but it's not necessarily cost effective to always do so. But I'm not going to encourage you or discourage you from doing that. Just, yeah, go listen to that show. <laughs> anyway, um, so e-fuels are really interesting because Porsche has uh, said that they are committed to making e-fuels, uh, presumably. You know, they've said they're also committed to making electric cars, but presumably they're wanting to also support the fun stuff, sell the gas stuff next to the electric stuff and uh, and or also have something to support some of their older models that still exist. Um as more governments do push for electrification, which I think is a huge, huge mistake. And I've said it time and time again on this show. I'm not opposed to electric cars. I'm not an electric car hater. I think they're a lot of fun. But I'm opposed to regulation that is forcing one technology over another and not letting free markets and, you know, as technology develops and as consumers buy what they want, not letting free markets decide it, saying arbitrarily, now, as a government, we've decided this is the best technology. And then obviously... Um, discouraging manufacturers from researching other technologies that might be better, like e-fuels. So what is an e-fuel? I keep th throwing that term around. And e-fuels are uh, synthetic combustion fuels that are produced with the help of electricity, taking that from renewable things. They take um, carbon, uh, they take CO2 from the atmosphere, and they take hydrogen from water through the process of electro electrolysis, which is using electric current to break water down into its component parts, hydrogen and oxygen. And uh, you can actually do this at home, by the way, uh, with some plates and a battery, and you can make your own hydrogen. Really cool. If you ever are bored, you want something to do, you want to make some hydrogen, you know, because you can. Um, I did this in high school. True story. I did a, I did a high school project on it and uh, made some hydrogen and uh, then blew up my hydrogen generator by accident. But what can I say? Uh, it, but again, simple process. Uh, plates that go into water, you apply a current to those plates, and then you somehow trap the gases coming off of that. And that gas is going to be primarily oxygen and primarily hydrogen. And there's going to be some other stuff in there, uh, chlorine and things like that if it's chlorinated water. Um, also, chlorine gas. To, you want to avoid that. Point is, um, you can you, so you can do this, and with the right setup, you can do it really effectively and really safely. And so, what they do to make this e-fuel is they use electricity and they pull hydrogen out of water. And then what they do is they have developed a method which is very technical, and I even understand it very loosely. But they have developed a method for combining that hydrogen 
into a liquid state with liquid CO2. And they basically pressurize the CO2 to a very, very high degree until, I guess, it, it, it turns into a liquid. It condenses into a liquid. And I'm sure there's a lot more science behind this than I'm, than I'm explaining here. But I'm just kind of throwing out the general concept. So they get a liquid from that, and then they're able to um, combine that with the hydrogen, as well as some other things, to make a liquid fuel that is combustible in the same way gasoline is. And this liquid fuel can be used to uh, as a replacement for gasoline. They can also do e-diesel and some other stuff. And uh, the idea is it's taking things that are readily available, right? A lot of the electric car fanatics, you know, want that carbon zero, net zero emissions, you know, they want that to be green. Well, this is really, really efficient because you can get the electricity to make the hydrogen from the water from renewable energy. You can also pull the CO2 from the atmosphere with, again, renewable energy. And the cool thing is when this stuff burns, it doesn't have nearly as many hydrocarbons and uh, harmful things uh, as regular gasoline does. So it's a lot kinder to the environment as well when you burn it and it just breaks down into its component parts, some separate parts of CO2 and some unburnt hydrogen and oxygen and stuff. So that's really cool. Now you got to be thinking, well, that's got to be really expensive to make. And it is expensive right now because the places that can make this stuff, which they do exist, this stuff is, it's not a theoretical thing. It does actually exist in some areas uh, it's just the the places that make this right now are very small in comparison to um you know oil refineries that make gasoline obviously so obviously if you were to scale this up and have more production of it the cost would go down now there's an interesting thing there's a thing called the e-fuel alliance uh and uh, you can look up some of these stats as well that i'm pulling from uh, efuelalliance.eu and they claim that uh the e-fuel by the way which is cool um can actually cost Costs somewhere around 1.6 uh, 1. euros to 2 euros, which in American speak, that's like a buck 75. Uh, so, and it can, it could cost that amount with a, with the right amount of support and distribution to this to offset the costs. Obviously, if you have a large volume of it, you can, you can sell it for fairly cheap. And they say that it can also be mixed with regular gasoline. So they can do like we do with ethanol. You know, you buy E85, that's 85% ethanol, 15% gasoline. They can do the same thing. So this is, again, this is a very, very rough overview of what this stuff is, but this is the kind of cool new um, you know, innovation that I believe gets stifled, you know, innovation in fuels like this gets stifled when governments arbitrarily, um, you know, restrict you to one technology, say, oh, we've decided electric is the best. Well, this e-fuel stuff looks really sustainable to produce. Uh, it can be used in existing powertrains. You can retrofit existing vehicles to run it in the same way you can run E85 ethanol in existing fuels or existing vehicles. And uh, I mean, come on, I've got my 1986 Corolla running on ethanol right now. It, it's a thing you can do as a DIY hobbyist, even yourself. So um, not saying this is ethanol, but I'm just saying for, for comparison's sake. And uh, this has got enough backing on it now, though, that Porsche has recently announced that they are going to be investing in this as well. And they are investing in this in a uh, substantial quantity, uh, like, think, $75 million um, 
that they're investing into a company that produces these uh, these e-fuels and uh, which is which is very cool. Now this company it's uh, uh, it's called Innovative or Highly Innovative Fuels Global. Yes, I wonder what they do. They are highly innovative with fuels. <laughs> I guess that's in their name. And uh, Porsche is acquiring 12.5% of that company to have this stuff made. Now, one of their major plants where they are already producing e-fuels is in Chile, and they're going to be expanding that. So, you know, here the, the thing is, you know, I'm sure electric vehicles are, you know, are, are definitely coming. It's a technology that is very appealing in a lot of ways. For instance, I see no reason why um, courier vehicles, mail trucks, you know, delivering mail and packages, you know, and those vehicles stop every 10 yards. Like, why on earth aren't those electric yet to me? I, like, that's one of those things. Our United States Postal Service has been in the market for a um, new mail truck, and um, they have uh, uh, gone with a gas option again. And again, I'm a diehard gearhead i love things that burn gas i love things that make noise when you drive them i love manual transmission so these are all things i love right and uh but you know when it comes to like a mail truck that drives 10 feet puts some letters in a mailbox drives another 10 feet stops 10 feet stops does that literally all day um i see no reason why that shouldn't be an electric vehicle and why that wouldn't be more efficient as an electric vehicle so obviously yeah we're going to see more electric cars but are we going to see a complete changeover to electric unless governments again in my opinion wrongly mandate this um you know i think it's very feasible that you know like for instance what porsche is doing they want to be able to support platforms and cars that they already have and they're using this e-fuel stuff which is cool and uh, i hope to see more support in this and i hope to see more legislators take a second look at this and say sure we like this electric car idea but the fact is, virtually every car on the road right now, like electric cars only make up like 13% of the cars in the world. So it's a small portion. Um, you know, it's like, well, we have all these cars. The more uh, efficient thing to do is keep existing vehicles on the road instead of making new vehicles. The, the climate, you know, damaging gases that are produced when you make the cars um are uh, it's already come and gone in a long long way sense for older cars so you know it makes more sense and several studies have backed this up uh that keeping older cars on the road if you're really trying to be eco-friendly yeah i love the planet right uh if you're trying to be eco-friendly keeping old crap cars on the road even though they might be a little less fuel efficient as long as you're keeping them in good maintenance they're not burning too much fuel they're not leaking oil out everywhere and cooling everywhere those that's actually being more environmentally friendly than buying a hundred thousand dollar ev so um you know having said that e-fuels it's really cool i like to see that porsche is backing this because again i mean once you get porsche backing it you know porsche makes cool stuff and they want to see their cars that they're already making obviously they need to be driven they can't sell service and stuff for cars that uh, aren't on the road anymore just because oh we just got to abandon all the gas ones that's not going to happen like this is not you know in, in 20 30 years i don't think this is going to be like the change from um tube tvs to you know lcd tvs where suddenly very quickly overnight everyone was throwing you know old style tube tvs out on the street just garbage i mean there's so many cars in the world so much infrastructure already in place that it has to be a gradual change if anything and uh again i don't think it's going to necessarily be a hundred percent change for electric i mean these you know you look at gas cars look at the model t's for instance a hundred year old model t's are still on the road now is it feasible to think that a, a kia sorrento is going to be on the road in a hundred years probably not probably not but the cool stuff the cool stuff the fun stuff the porsches the 
the, you know, <laughs> the then in a hundred years collectible Acura Integras, right, are going to be, you know, going across auction floors for millions. Who knows? Who knows? Uh, I don't know. I just like to drive my stuff. I'm not in it for all the big money, obviously, but obviously these e-fuels are a part of driving stuff. So yeah, more on this, you know, as we hear more stuff about this, of course, you'll, uh, You'll hear about it here first. You'll get the updates on it here. Now, I got more stuff to talk about. Oh, man, this show is loaded. This is, you know, I'm kind of doing some stuff as the podcast exclusive here. I can get away with being a little more long form on the podcast here than I can on the radio show. On the on the radio show, I got to be pretty tight, pretty concise, do it within a specific time, hit the times correctly. But here, you know what? Let's just chat about cars. I got the next thing, which is... Uh, the most useless car feature has officially been killed off by the chip shortage, and I'm I'm not sorry. I'm glad to see it gone. What is it? I'll tell you about it in just a minute. Every day, thousands go without the ability to buy necessary and life-saving parts. Parts like turbos, coilovers, and wheels. I'm Steve Turbocharged BRZ. It doesn't run because I can play with my connecting rod through the hole in my block. Project cars sit unfinished, waiting for parts, collecting dust. My name is Todd, and I bought a rotary. It's okay, bro. We'll uh, swap it. But no more. You, yes you, can make a difference. For as little as $5 per month, you can put an end to Project Car's suffering and support your favorite podcast. Patreon.com slash Throttle Warrior. Donate now and receive special perks. Sponsored by Autoholics Anonymous and the Speed Council. go that is uh, alex's s13 hatch uh, with a uh, he says fairly stock sr20 just sending it lots of fun there uh shout out to alex for that as well as his buddy new long lore for sending that to me on the automotive adhd facebook page i guess if if I draw either of you in the uh, for the uh, the winning of the keychain and stuff, I guess I guess both of you will have to get a keychain and the gift card since that was a, that was a team effort sending it in. I don't know. Hey, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Could be pretty cool though. Now, uh, one thing I want to want to get to here uh, in this uh, final segment of the show is the uh, most recent piece of technology to get killed, killed off mercilessly. By the chip shortage, as as any of us know, the chip shortage has been, uh, you know, pretty prevalent in the automotive industry now for for a while. It's nothing new, and um, manufacturers have uh, had to do all sorts of different things in order to curb said shortage. For instance, you know, Volkswagen had to shift their production methods from being the quote just in time method, where they receive parts and their supply chain, it all comes in. At the very second it's needed, therefore they don't need factory space and storage space for lots of parts. It just comes in. It just happens. And um, they had to they had to start stockpiling stuff because that wasn't happening, and it was uh, it was throwing a metaphorical wrench into the production line uh, and stopping things uh, that shouldn't have been stopped. So they had to figure out a way around that, kind of go back to some more traditional means. Other manufacturers have been um, removing features from their cars in order to keep them moving. Instead of, oh, we need a, a, a power seat module, but we don't have the chips to make it, instead of holding up again the whole production line and saying, well, we just got to wait to sell these cars to finish them, they've just been putting manual seats in 
getting the cars out, getting them onto the showroom floor, and then just selling them, obviously. And uh, so, you know, that's been one of the primary ways manufacturers have been keeping production rolling. Because, again, you can't just stop these production lines and, and expect things to go well or expect to resume production and not lose jobs and all that stuff and not lose sales. Uh, and uh, in a market where used cars are even more used and, well, new cars are even more desirable, um, got to keep that stuff rolling. So the latest thing, though, to get canceled, you could say, uh, because of this, is the Ford Broncos factory GPS system. Yeah, good riddance. Not saying it was a terrible system, but I think, and uh, this sentiment has been echoed by automotive journalists in the industry for a while, I think that the factory navigation systems in cars are ridiculous, they're pointless, they are redundant, and they are expensive, and they're also clunky. All of these reasons. I mean, you know, since when have you had a better experience with the factory navigation than you have had with Google Maps? Apple Maps, Waze, any of the, all of the above. Um, and the fact is that software designers uh, and software engineers working at Apple, Google, and big tech companies, that's their primary job. Whereas auto manufacturers either are doing the software engineering in-house or they're having to outsource to other people and they don't have a dedicated staff always working on that 24-7, you know, uh, in the same, not at least, I'm sure they have staff on you know, like full payroll, obviously, but not in the same capacity that Google does and not in the same way that Apple does. I mean, they just can't. They're a car company, you know, and the others, you know, Apple and Google are technology companies. That's all they do. So the fact is, you know, it's like, oh, well, how do I get my Apple Maps there? Well, virtually every new car has Apple CarPlay integrated with it, has uh, Google Maps integration as well. So uh, Android Auto and uh, my recent acquisition, which I've mentioned before, my 2012 Tacoma. Yeah, it's a 2012, but the uh, previous owner put in a really nice head unit that has a touchscreen and that has integration with uh, CarPlay and uh, and Android Auto. And it's, it's seamless. It is like, it is a phenomenally good, well-designed system. And uh, so the Ford Bronco also, though, uh, the fact that it's losing its factory GPS and navigation system, again, what a what a tragedy, what a loss. The fact is that factory system costs six hundred and ninety five dollars as a subscription for, I believe, every three years. You have to pay a six hundred and ninety five dollar, seven hundred dollar subscription to continue using the factory navigation in the vehicle. And why would you? Why, why would you pay, in my opinion, I, I've talked at length about how subscription services and mechanical features in cars or even technology features are ridiculous. You bought the car, you should be able to continue using it. And a subscription service for the GPS, I mean, it's one of those things, too, that'll be super dated in a while. And, and it may even, you know, in the future, in years, you know, maybe not even that far out, 10 years, it may go by the way of... The 3G, the AT&T 3G network shutdown, which happened earlier this year, which uh, made a lot of features in a lot of cars that aren't even that old, 2010 and up models, um, even as models as, as late as like 2018, 2019. It made the 3G um, cellular units in the, the infotainment systems completely useless, like 100% useless. Either it's completely bricked and you can't use it or you have to take it to the dealer and usually pay to have it upgraded through some sort of weird workaround to the, the existing network now. So what's to say, you know, these factory navigation systems don't go that route? What's to say the GPS signals and the, the satellites in the, in the sky and in, in, in orbit 
you know, aren't changed to a different system or, you know, gone out of commission or heaven forbid a space rock hits them and the company decides that it's not worth sending another one up, you know, like all that stuff can happen and basically brick your your uh, navigation system in your Bronco, for instance, or your, any car. And, and look at factory navigation systems in cars from 10 years ago. They're terrible. Half of them don't work. Half of them are clunky. They're terrible. They don't do anything well. At that point, again, you're better off pulling the smartphone out of your pocket. Now, what's interesting about this is, according to a recent survey, um, the uh, cell phone ownership... Uh, has gone up substantially in the in the past decade, uh, which I mean that's that's to no surprise uh, because obviously more people have uh, purchased cell phones. So according to um, a uh, study, they found that a large portion of Americans, at least ninety seven percent of Americans, now own uh, a cell phone of some kind, and uh, of those Americans, eighty five percent of them own smartphones and if you have a smartphone any sort of smartphone you are pretty much good to go when it comes to you know pairing up with your um your uh, android auto system your apple carplay uh in your in your vehicle and the cool thing with those systems is those can be integrated into aftermarket head units um and you can change that over time like the head unit in my tacoma my tacoma has definitely got more than 10 years of life in it absolutely and you know what who knows maybe another smartphone manufacturer comes out or maybe apple and google do things differently and I, okay, well, I can just go get another aftermarket head unit that supports the newest stuff, plug it into my dash, boom, I'm good to go. So, you know, just swap out the head unit, couple hundred bucks, brought, you know, I've, I've now brought new technology to an old vehicle. So that's why I don't think that it's a tragedy that Ford is cutting out its navigation system in the the Broncos, for instance. Now, obviously, the the Broncos. I should clarify. I should have clarified this earlier. They still have the center screen, so you're not as you wouldn't be able to swap it out for necessarily another one. You still have the center screen. You still have CarPlay. You still have Android Auto. You still have the whole infotainment system. Just sans the GPS and Maps feature, which I have a feeling a very few number of owners were actually using, and the people who have it probably just didn't notice when they bought the. The Bronco, you know, they just probably didn't notice that, oh, there's a $695 charge that the dealer put on there, and I wasn't paying attention to the itemized, you know, option sheet and all that stuff, and I guess I'm stuck with it. Uh, it's rolled into the loan or whatever. So, you know, that's that's one of those things. I don't feel like a lot of people earnestly, truly were looking at the option sheet saying, okay, I really want the factory navigation system because... You know, I just I want that integrated factory experience. No one has ever said in the history of the world, I'd bet money on this. No one has ever said that the factory Ford navigation or the factory Toyota navigation, I'm just doesn't matter what brand, but that that factory navigation is better than Google or Apple Maps. I don't think anyone has ever once said that and uh, if you have uh please uh, contact me let me know we'll uh, we'll get you on the show <laughs> and we'll we'll find out why you say that because i have never had an experience where it's better and again with with the modern technology we have in the dashboards of cars now it's not like i even have to think about pairing my cell phone to it maybe there's an initial setup but once it's good to go you get in my phone's in my pocket i don't even care i don't even notice i just go to the infotainment system on the car and boom there's my maps my navigation it's got music it's got a good podcast it's like you know i don't know you can maybe play this podcast on there but my point is it's all integrated it's really well done so i would say you let the the software manufacturers do the software bit and let the car manufacturers do what they do which is make great cars i think that's a uh, 
It's a pretty good compromise there. So uh, again, hey, you know what? If you got a different opinion than me, that's what the Automotive ADHD Facebook page is for. You can share that there. Share it to your heart's content. And uh, then we'll talk about it here on the show. So that's a great thing about this show. You can interact with the show. I, again, I like playing your car sounds here. If you want to send those in, you can do that. Be entered for a chance to win the $25 gift certificate, the keychain, all of the good stuff. Now, I want to thank you for joining me on this eh, perhaps slightly longer than usual version of the show. I mean, hey, it's a podcast. I can get away with what I want here. It's my podcast. You know what? I don't. I think it's good. I think it's fine. And of course, you can subscribe to said podcast wherever fine podcasts and you know this one are downloaded. And I will see you same time, same place next week when I race Vin Diesel to see whose transmission has more gears. Yeah, that'll be a good one. I'll see you then.